tonight. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to uh, the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at chapter 20. If you don't have your Bible, no sweat. You can look on the announcement sheet or you can look on with a friend. Also, I didn't print this and I apologize, but if you can, turn also to Colossians chapter 1. That's towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament. And we're going to be referencing briefly later on, 15 and following. But you can put a bookmark there or a piece of paper there um, as well. That'll make it easy to get to in a little bit. So, um, Exodus 20 and Colossians 1 are kind of the passages that we will look at. But we're going to be spending our time, obviously, the majority in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, because we are doing a study this semester. Maybe this is your first time. If so, welcome. We're looking at the Ten Commandments. And if you're anything like me, I grew up particularly thinking the Ten Commandments were this uh, arbitrary, religious, ethical code uh, of conduct. And what I've been trying to show you, and there is some truth there, of course, but what I've been trying to communicate, and one of the main things I want you to walk away with this semester is the fact that the Ten Commandments are way more than that. Way bigger, way better than just an arbitrary religious code of conduct. And as we've been learning, it's the Ten Commandments, it's basically a gift, that God has given us, and he's saying, as a human being that I've created in my image, I want to show you how life works best. You try to live by this, and life will go well for you. You go against this, the way I've designed you, uh, it's not good news. You will end up, uh, it will end up leading to destruction. And so it's, it's given to us, remember that Lewis quote, for the proper working of the human machine. And so I really want you to get that, that the Ten Commandments are good news because they're gifts to show us how life works best. And so with that in mind, let me read uh, the, third, the second commandment. No graven images is the topic tonight. Exodus 24 through 6, this is God's Word. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the, the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let me pray and ask God to come and help us as we look at this tonight. Good and gracious Father, we come to you tonight and it's been a a hard week for many people. Some people are having a great week, but I know particularly it's been a hard week and a lot of people have received lots of difficult news. Uh, And so I just ask that, uh, Father, maybe those that are struggling here, dealing with something hard in their life or in their family, uh, that they would really sense your nearness, that you would encourage them uh, with 
the fact that you will never leave them or forsake them. Father, I pray as we look at this passage also that you would reveal to us and show us and convict us of the ways that we make carved images of you in ways that maybe we don't even realize. But at the very same time, show us Jesus and show us that he is God in the flesh, that the reason why you tell us no images is because you've given us an image, Jesus Christ himself, and make him more beautiful to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Three things tonight. You can see an outline printed for you. Uh, Concerning the second commandment, I really just want us to look at three things. Uh, What... What is the second commandment, and what is it trying to teach us? What does it mean? Secondly, why? Why does God give us the second commandment? Because at first glance, it kind of seems like maybe God's being a little nitpicky. So why? Thirdly, how? How do we break it, and how do we uh, keep from breaking it? What's the hope? in this passage that we see tonight. And so the what, the why, and the how. Let's look at number one, the what. If you were here last week and you read and you were, have read the first commandment and you look at the second commandment, at first glance, and it, this was true of me, it's often difficult at first glance to see the difference bef- between the first commandment and the second commandment, because they look very similar. But if you look closely, there is a very subtle distinction. And I want you to get this subtle distinction, because I think it's important for understanding what the commandment is trying to show us. Let me try to explain this. The first commandment, so what we did last week, no idols, is God coming to us and saying, it's all about worshiping the right God. Okay, no idols. If you were here last week, the idols in our hearts, we are to reject those. Then comes the second commandment. Okay, so the first commandment has to do with worshiping the right God. The second commandment comes, and it has to do with worshiping the right God in the right way. Another way we could say that, commandment number one talks about who we should worship. Commandment number two how we should worship. You with me? That's a subtle distinction, but very, very important that we're going to work out tonight. Uh, And an illustration that we see is actually Exodus chapter 32. Just a few chapters after this, it's pretty astounding. God's people, um, Moses comes down on the mountain and Moses finds them bowing down to and worshiping a golden calf. And we see the distinction here. And here's what's interesting is that it's not the worship of the golden calf that condemned the people. In other words, they were not worshiping a new God. Commandment number one. What they were condemned for was worshiping God, the true God, through the golden calf. That was what was so offensive to God. Let me say that again. They weren't so much, it wasn't about them worshiping the calf. They were worshiping God. They thought they were. It was worshiping God through the calf that they had made and that they had fashioned. 
You see, the second commandment, that's what it's guarding against. It's very subtle, but it's an important distinction. A golden or a a graven image means that you are making a man-made image of God. And what is forbidden here is worshiping the living and the true God by something that we make or conjure up in our minds and in our hearts. The second commandment means that we are forbidden to make the invisible God visible. Point number two, why? Again, I don't know about you, but it sounds like God's a little insecure here. (laughs) Or, you know, he's being nitpicky or really getting into the fine details. Why does God say this? Because maybe you could even make an argument that the Israelites, they had good motives, or at least they thought they were doing something that was okay by worshiping the golden calf. They said, we're worshiping you. We haven't changed our allegiances. We're just worshiping you through this. And so what's the big deal? Why is there a commandment uh, that is committed to this? Well, Tim Keller uh, says it very well. And he says this, that any physical picture or any image that you and I make to represent God always conceals more than it reveals. Let me say that again. Any image or representation of God that you and I create always conceals more than it reveals. Let's go back to the golden calf illustration. Remember, it wasn't the worship of God. It was they were worshiping Him through the golden calf that offended God. Why? Well, think about it. God is basically saying this. A calf, a golden calf, while that might depict and reveal my power, and it, because it's gold, it might reveal my majesty and my strength. But while it does those things, it conceals something really, really big. It conceals, God says, my gentleness and my mercy and my love, and you can't have one without the other and still have me. You see it? That's what God is saying, because God's saying, I'm all of those things. I'm merciful, I'm loving, I'm forgiving, but I'm also powerful, and I'm also full of majesty and strength. And so when they make God, they were making God in their image, making God into who they wanted Him to be, rather than worshiping God for who He truly was. And friends, that is just as offensive to Him as that would be to you and me. Think about it. Do you like when someone creates an image of you? Do you like when someone sizes you up or puts you in a box? No, because creating an image of another person, it's one of the most insulting things that you can do to them, isn't it? Think about it. When you create an image of a person and you're in relationship with them, does that help or hurt the relationship? It destroys the relationship. Because what is happening is you're treating the person, and this happens all the time, as you wish they were. Or you're treating them as you want them to be, 
rather than letting them be who they are and who God's created them to be. And it is a recipe for disaster, and it will destroy your relationships. I've seen it once. If I've seen it once, I've seen it a hundred times in dating relationships throughout the years. It starts out, you're dating, and when you first meet someone, you have this great image of them. Why? Because at the beginning of a dating relationship, everybody's putting their best foot forward. Somewhere along the way, they disappoint you or they start to let their guard down somewhere in the relationship. And then all of a sudden, that gets tarnished. Your image of them gets tarnished. Because why? Well, they're not who you thought they were or they're not who you wish they would be. And so at that point in the relationship, you're at a crossroads. You can either leave... Reject them, move on, say, I'm done, I can't take this because you're not who I want you to be. Or, and I've seen this happen a lot, you end up pushing through and end up eventually getting married. And if you do that, mark my word, you will have some very difficult early years of marriage. (laughs) Why? Well, it should seem obvious at this point because you're going to constantly try to make that person into who you want them to be, rather than let them be who they are. They will feel that pressure. They will feel that they don't measure up and they're not good enough because of the pressure you're putting on them, wanting them to be someone different, shaping them into your image. And that will eventually come to a head and the person in the relationship that is experiencing that will get very, very frustrated and sick of it. Now, why would they get sick of it? Because they're a person. They're not an object for you to shape into your image. Second commandment. The same is true with God. It's the exact same way. God comes in the second commandment and says, I'm a person. And He wants us to worship Him, not for who we want Him to be or who we wish that He were, but for who He truly is. That's the whole reason God gives us commandment number two. He's not being nitpicky. And it's actually a very loving, gracious thing. Because think about it this way. God is saying, listen, I know what that does to relationships when you start to wish someone was someone else. Or you fashion them into your image. And God is saying, I don't want that to happen to our relationship. Because if we start doing that in our relationship, it will destroy it. And so God is giving us this for our protection because He loves us and because He wants to have a relationship with us. Thirdly, the how. And under this, again, if you're a note taker, two subpoints. We're going to look, look at first. Uh, the first subpoint is how we break the commandment, and then we'll finish up with how we, keep, how we can keep it. What, what is the hope? So let's look at how we break it under point number three. And at first glance, again, you know, maybe you read this and you think, you know, I, I'm pretty, I got this. I'm doing okay with this one. I mean, you can walk through my dorm room. Or you can walk through my house or through my apartment and I don't have any golden statues or I don't have any wooden carved images of whatever that I'm bowing down to and adoring. I'm good. 
But here's what I want you to see, and we're going to see this over and over again this semester, is that the commandments are meant to drive us deep into our own heart and soul. Friends, God is after your heart, not just merely external behaviors. And so when we start thinking about our hearts and our thought lives and how deep this commandment goes, that it's not just our external behaviors, it doesn't take long for this commandment, number two, to really expose us. Because what this is saying is that you break the commandment, I break the commandment, whenever you and I have an image, whenever we think about or relate to God in a false way, whenever we imagine God or relate to Him or think about Him in a false way. For example, if you've ever said, I like to think of God like you've broken the commandment. Or I I would rather think of God as, fill in the blank. You've broken the commandment. So what else does it look like? And we could work out a thousand things of application. Let me just talk about a few ways that maybe you're seeing this play out in your life and what it looks like to break the commandment. Maybe tonight you have, for example, a you think of God and you imagine Him as like a grandfather as a a bending machine that gives you whatever you want, or uh, Santa Claus, possibly. Uh, He's the guy that just smiles at you when you sin and mess up, or gives you a pat on the back and says, do better next time, or winks at your sin. And if that's your view of God, uh, you've missed God's holiness and righteousness. And if you do that, there's probably no sorrow in your life over your brokenness and over your sin. There's probably very little repentance in, in your life. Why? Because you have, that's not the God of the Bible. You've fashioned God into a false image. A God that simply does not care how you live as long as you've asked Jesus into your heart. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the true and living God. Or maybe tonight, maybe you sit here and you're physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. Could it be that the reason why you're feeling that way is because it is rooted in a distortion of the way you view God? For example, maybe tonight you view God as a taskmaster who's never pleased with you, never happy with you. Maybe you view yourself as standing before God and He is never happy with you. And when you think about God, the God who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that God is nowhere to be found in your view of God. You see, that's not the true God. That's not God as He's revealed Himself in Scripture. Or what about this? Maybe you have a distorted view of God's goodness. This is me. This is the one I really struggle with as we think about the second commandment. Maybe you're convinced that God is out to get you. Or that God never wants you to be happy. Or that God is going to punish you. Or God is going to teach you a lesson. Or God is going to withhold some good thing from you 
until you can get your act together. And so you always think of God as holding out on you. Friends, that's not God. And I don't know what it is that you're going through tonight or whatever it is that you're struggling with, but one thing it cannot be, it cannot be because God is not good. It cannot be because God doesn't love you. Because He does. And that's who He tells us He is in the Bible. Or perhaps tonight, you're sitting here and maybe you don't, you would say, I'm skeptical of Christianity. And I don't know where you are uh, with that, but maybe you need to reconsider that maybe you've rejected the real God. What do I mean by that? Well, I talk to students a lot about faith, uh, students that are skeptical or agnostic, and they're very angry towards God, and I start asking why, and they start giving me all these reasons. And not always, but sometimes I'm thinking, we're not talking about the same God. That's not the God of Christianity. This is the God of Christianity. So maybe, if that's where you are, maybe you need to reconsider if you're really thinking through and interacting with the real God as you seek to make decisions about faith and whether or not you think Jesus and the Bible and Christianity is really true. We could list thousands of things, okay? We're not going to do that. And I hope you see that the danger in creating these false images of God, it should be obvious. But again, the point is that it wreaks havoc on your relationship with God. It wreaks havoc on your relationship with other people and on the world and the way you relate to the world around you. Second sub-point. So how can we keep it? What's What's the hope? So maybe you're, tonight you're saying, I get it. Okay, like I, I really understand that I'm not viewing God and I'm breaking the second commandment. And when, if you're thinking that, if we're real about that, we know that it's like impossible to get up tomorrow and flip a light switch and say, all right, I'm good. All my distortions and all the ways I view God, that's completely changed I'm viewing him the right way. No, that's not how we work as human beings. We're not neutral and we bring those distortions with us. And so it's hard for us to simply just change the way we perceive and relate and view God. But in order for that to happen, you know as well as I do, we've got to have a word from the outside. We've got to have someone or something come into our lives and inform us and reveal our blind spots and refashion and shape the way we view God. And for the Christian, we believe that something is the Bible. God's Word. Because we believe as Christians that you go to the Bible in order to find out who God is and what He's like. But not only that, the Bible, as we learn about it in the Bible itself, is a power unto itself. Hebrews chapter 4 says, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and penetrates you all the way to the core of who you are. And so it's the Bible that actually has the power to break through our flawed perceptions and distortions and bring you and I into a real deep knowledge of who God is. 
Let me illustrate with a story again from Scripture. Luke chapter 16. Write it down. You can read it later. It's a very interesting story. But it's about a rich man who has spent his entire life ignoring a beggar on his own property. Both men die at the same time. The poor beggar goes up and spends eternity in the comforts of heaven. And the rich man spends eternity in torment. And in the parable, he starts having this discussion with Father Abraham, and it naturally goes to, because he's in eternal torment, it naturally goes to the rich man saying, Father Abraham, what about my brothers? I've got five brothers. I've got family. I don't want them to come here and experience, experience what I'm experiencing. And what's interesting is Father Abraham responds in a very simplistic way, and he says this, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. They have the Bible. And the Bible is enough and has the power to convince them. Well, the rich man doesn't believe it, and so he responds by breaking the second commandment. And he says, no. If someone rises from the dead and comes back from the dead, then they will believe. Then they will believe. Listen to that. The rich man thinks that the reason why people reject God is because of evidence. Because they don't have enough data. They don't have enough information. And what's interesting is the Bible says that our problem is not that we don't have enough evidence. In fact, we have more than enough evidence. So what's the problem? The problem's not with the evidence. The problem is that the evidence is not good enough for us. The problem is that we don't like the evidence and the information that we've been given. And so the parable ends, and Father Abraham sums it up, and listen to this, it's amazing. He says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, translation, if they don't If they don't understand and interact with this book, they will not be convinced. Even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't that amazing? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they not hear the word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That is the point he was trying to make and really the point of tonight. Friends, you're never going to find God. You're never going to learn more about him and reshape your false ways of relating to him until you find him and go to the place where he says that he is with absolute 100% certainty. His word. The Bible. That's one place God says he is. These are not just words about God. These are God's very words to us. And often what ends up happening is we end up, is we come to the Bible and we start rejecting all the parts we don't like and we start taking all the parts we do like and saying we're good with those. So we say, man, I really like the New Testament, but the Old Testament, I don't know, it's God seems a little angry. Or we think, I really am down with Jesus. But Paul, I'm not so sure about Paul. Or Jesus says that he's God. I don't know about that. I like when Jesus is healing people and doing some other things. Or he talks about there actually being a literal hell. 
I don't like that, so I'm going to just focus on heaven. See the ways we do this, and in doing that, and maybe there's other ways that you're doing that. You're just taking the parts you like. You're just cherry-picking. That's breaking the second commandment. And you're making your faith, God says, a graven image. And God is insulted by that. And so what's the solution? What's the hope? Colossians chapter 1. You have your Bible flipped there with me. 15 and following. God says no images. Why does God say no images? Because He's given us an image. He's given us Jesus Christ Himself. Look at verse 15. Jesus is the image of the visible God. Verse 16. All things were created by Him. Jesus is Creator. And so when the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were forming and creating the world, Jesus was there speaking the world into existence. Verse 17, And all these things, all things hold together in Him. So Jesus not only creates, but He also sustains us through the power of His Word. Verse 19, The fullness of God dwells in Him. Jesus reveals what we need to know about God and what God wants us to know about Him. And so do you want to know God? Stop looking to our created images and look at Jesus Himself. You see, one of the things about RUF and the re- one of the reasons why we do this hopefully week after week is we want to be a place where we just hold up Jesus week after week and say, look at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He shows us what God is like, that He loves us, that He's gracious with us, and that He wants to have a relationship with us and gives us the good news that we need week after week after week as we come in here on Wednesday nights, beat down by all the things going on in the world. We come and we are reminded of what is right and true by looking at the Bible and looking at Jesus and who God says He is. Let's pray.